the WA Country Hour on ABC Radio WA. And good afternoon to you. Jessica Hayes in the chair today. Fantastic to have you tuned into the Country Hour this afternoon. And as you've just heard in the news, Fitzroy Crossing in the Kimberley is experiencing record flooding. And I'll have more details on that for you in just a few moments. But soon you're headed to the south of the state where grain growers are powering through a long, slow, drawn-out harvest. We just had so much rain and there wouldn't be many days apart from towards the end where we actually started work before lunch and a lot of the times not before five o'clock. So just couldn't get that moisture to come down. It just seemed to hover around that, you know, 13.5% and we just couldn't get it under there. So far, 20.8 million tonnes received to the state's main grain handler, the Cooperative Bulk Handling Group, edging ever closer to last year's record numbers. And soon you'll hear why Harvest Road, which is owned by mining billionaire Andrew Forrest, could soon be one of the state's major sweet potato producers. The reason we chose sweet potatoes was because it's an import replacement really. There's not a lot of sweet potatoes grown in Western Australia for Western Australia. Most of it, 90% or more, is grown over on the East Coast, predominantly Bundaberg and imported into WA. I'll have the latest with Saxon Boston from Harvest Road a little bit later in the program. But first up today, though, if you've been listening to the Country Hour over the past few days, you would have heard about the massive rains. Ex-tropical cyclone Ellie has been dumping over the central Kimberley. And while it's good news for some pastoralists on the fringe of the system, there are others that are right in the thick of it. Major flooding is occurring at Fitzroy Crossing and surrounds, where there's been reports of livestock losses and significant infrastructure damage. Jamie Lorison manages Bliner Station, uh, which is located halfway between Derby and Fitzroy Crossing on the Great Northern Highway. Um, good afternoon to you, Jamie. Yeah, afternoon. Now, what's the situation like at your place this afternoon? Uh, still, still very windy and, and raining, and we're starting to see some see some flooding. How much rainfall have you had over the last couple of days? Uh, we're, we're probably about four fifty mils now. And how does that stack up for context? I don't think we've had... I can't recall ever having you know, falls like this before. It's, it's just been consistent rain since Friday and obviously the ground soaked up a lot of the water and now it's, now it's sort of starting to flood and we're seeing, you know, we're seeing the, the Bliner Swamp back, back right up, which I haven't seen before, which means that you know, the water's not getting away because the water from here goes down to the Fitzroy Obviously, the Fitzroy's flooding and backing the water up here. Jamie, how are you preparing this afternoon, and how prepared do you feel? I think we're 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 okay here. We've got plenty of high ground. I guess it's you know it's the people on the along the Fitzroy River and along the Leonard and May and Meter River and other river systems in the West Kimberley that you know, probably got some um, problems. We are seeing some vision of cattle flowing down with the river, um, having drowned. How nervous are you about your cattle? Um, yeah, we're worried about cattle on the, on the other places, on, on Meter and Kimberley Downs. I mean, there's potential for cattle to be, to, to be washed away there, but there's not a lot we can do until we can get helicopters up and like, move cattle onto higher ground. So you haven't had a chance yet to go out and really see for yourself what needs to be done and what the situation is? No, no, we just haven't had a break in the weather. But, you know, once we realised this, this, you know, this was serious and we're, 
you know, we're in for serious flooding. It was, you know, it was too wet to get helicopters up. So you're now waiting for a break to be able to get those helicopters up. You said they've, you've got them booked? Yeah, I've got helicopters booked. As soon as we get a break in the weather and they're able to, to fly, you know, we'll be assessing the situation and moving cattle where we need to. What's the situation at your place around being able to get out and about? Are you flooded in? Yeah, we're locked in here. Our, our access road is cut and probably likely to be cut for maybe a couple of weeks. Can you describe for me what it looks like out your window right now? Just how, obviously it's very wet, but, but what does that scene look like from where you're standing? Um, to the south, it looks like the blind, the blind of swamp is, um, looks, looks, looks like you're looking out over the ocean. So you've never seen it like this before? Not in my time, no. I don't think I've ever seen a low, a, you know, a low a system like this just sit on top of us for this period of time. I think this is unprecedented, especially up in, you know, in the catchment. That, you know, that, that, it's just been raining up there consistently for four or five days and big falls. Jamie, presumably you've been on the blower with other pastoralists in the area. What are you hearing? I'm hearing people. People are saying that you're moving out of homesteads. Homesteads are going under that have never been under before. You know, I'm hearing you know, potentially significant stock losses. I mean, how does that make you feel? It makes me feel pretty, pretty awful. I mean, you feel for the stock. Is there an upside to this when it subsides, getting this level of rainfall, or at this point is it all a pretty grim picture? Oh, I think it's a pretty grim picture when you get when you get these sort of falls. You know, the stock the stock losses can be devastating and then the, and the damage to infrastructure can also be significant. So for you, what does the next 24 to 48 hours look like in preparing for potential further flooding? Uh, I, think, I think it's just a matter of you know, monitoring the, the flood levels and uh, yeah, making the, most, the priority at the moment is making sure all our people are okay on, on other, you know, other homesteads within this group, making sure everyone's safe and yeah, and being prepared to, if we have to evacuate people. But at this stage, I, you know, I think we're okay. You mentioned the other holdings. Where are they based? Uh, Meter and Kimberley Downs. They're to the west of Bliner, sort of along the Gibb River Road. Right. So, for you, you're using the word unprecedented. This is something that is a lot of pastoralists haven't seen before to this level. No, I don't think we've ever had a, a you know a low a low system like this sit on top of us for this period of time and, and just consistently drop rain on us like this. So when you can get up in the air and you can assess that damage, does the work start to try and get those cattle out of harm's way? Start moving those cattle to higher ground? Definitely, that's a priority. Just get up and have a look and assess things and. If we have to open up fences and move cattle in, in onto into higher ground, and, and then just assess the damage to infrastructure, and, and then start planning to to put it, fix it all. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me on the Country Hour this afternoon. No worries, thank you. Jamie Lorison, who is the manager of Bliner Station, about halfway between Derby and Fitzroy Crossing in the Kimberley, as you heard, there huge falls in recent days. And preparing for further flooding, uh, he's locked in right now by those floodwaters, can't get up in the air to assess the damage, but very nervous for cattle at properties further up the Gibb River Road.
And I've touched base this afternoon with the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development about how it is responding to reports of stock losses in the Fitzroy area. Deepurd says the response has been coordinated by the Department of Fire and Emergency Services, but it has offered assistance to pastoralists. And a Deepurd spokesperson says it hasn't received any official reports of stock losses yet, but it says, and I quote, but in such an expansive outback area, it is possible for some stock to get caught in floodwaters. And the department says it'll continue to support pastoralists where required. Now, you'll get all the latest details about those flood conditions when I catch up with the Bureau at half past the hour. And if you tuned in from the Kimberley today, please feel free to get in touch this afternoon. You can always send me a text. The number is 0448922604. You might have photos or vision to share, or you might be able to share a first-hand account of what it looks like in your backyard. Again, that number, 0448 13 past 12 on the country hour and it's time to head to the south of the state now where for many grain farmers this season's harvest has been a long slow grind. As of this morning 20.8 million tonnes have been delivered to the state's main grain handler CBH creeping closer to last year's record of 20.3 million tonnes and it seems there's still plenty of grain to come. Sam Lehman farms at Cranbrook about 100 kilometres northwest of Albany and is busy getting off his last few paddocks. And while harvest is dragging along longer than usual, he's definitely not complaining. It's been slow grind, I guess. We started a little bit late, so we're not far to go. How much more do you still have to get off? Around 150 hectares. Yeah, somewhere there. A few days and we'll be done, hopefully. Is it normal for you to still be harvesting at this point in the year? No, normally Christmas, it's all wrapped up, but we're um, historically not big croppers, but it's just been a, a late start. Yeah, we're just making our way through it. We're nearly nearly there. And what caused the delay to this day of harvest? We had a very mild finish to the season, so it's just everything's taken a long time to, to go off, which is fine. That's where we are. It means the sheep feed's sort of hung on a bit longer, and yeah, the crops have too. How are the crops that you are getting off? Yeah, good. We've had a much better season than probably what last year was for us. So it's been a long season and good rainfall. So we, yeah, we can't complain. And is the quality still okay? Yeah, quality's been pretty good. We've had a few little dramas, but quality's been good and and yields have been good. So we're very happy. Have the delays impacted the crops at all? No, actually, we thought we might have had a few issues with quality you know, with the late rains, but it hasn't seemed to have affected us too badly yet. We have got a little bit of lodging going on in some cereals, but we'll take that. We're very happy. How keen are you to finish harvest? Yeah, no, it'd be good to be good to get it done. I think everyone's pretty keen to finish up so we can go on holiday. How are you feeling overall at this point? Well, start of new year, still harvesting, but after a decent year, how do you feel overall? Really, really happy. I'm being a late finish is not really an issue. I mean, we'll we'll finish harvest when we do, but yeah, it's just nice to have a, a decent season. So yeah, I, I don't mind at all. Harvest finishing a little bit later if it means that yeah, we've had good yields and quality. And other people in your Cranbrook area are they in the same boat? Are they still harvesting? I think so. I think there's still plenty more to come off in their area. There'll be a few guys that are starting to to finish up. I'd say, but yeah, we're not on our own. Cranbrook mixed farmer Sam Lehman speaking with Sophie Johnson. 
So while several farmers are still going, one farmer near Esperance finished just in time for New Year's celebrations. Natalie Bowman is relieved to have the crop off at her grass patch farm after an extended harvest. And she says it's been a rewarding year, but weather interruptions have made it one of the most frustrating she's ever experienced. We just had so much rain and there wouldn't be many days apart from towards the end where we actually started work before lunch and a lot of the times not before five o'clock. So just couldn't get that moisture to come down. It just seemed to hover around that, you know, 13.5% and we just couldn't get it under there. When did you finish officially? On the 30th of December. So first time in quite a few years that we haven't finished before Christmas. I guess we've all got a bit used to being well finished before Christmas. So it did come as a bit of a shock. We were like, oh, I know. And our son's home on the farm and he's never experienced a harvest that runs over Christmas. So we went, you know, we've been here before, but it's been a while. But uh, we managed to get it in there before the new year, thanks to hard work and some long hours of of all of our staff. They uh, pushed hard to get there, which was great in the finish. What about the quality then of, of the grain? So, yeah, were you happy with how that turned out? Really happy with the yield. Quality was a really a mixed bag. We've had some good quality, definitely some affected by the rain. So we had some sprouting issues and some falling number issues. So a little bit of a mixed bag that you couldn't really pick. You know, one minute everything was going along swimmingly and next minute we're back to a couple of loads of feed and you don't really know where that came from or why. But, yeah, so a bit of a mixed bag. But overall, really happy with the yield. So, yeah, look, you know, the, the quantities there and the qualities. Some of it's there, some of it's not quite, so we certainly can't complain. Are there any issues with storage uh, of grain at the moment? Uh, Not for us. So we had a bagging machine, had it for about five years, never used it, so actually sold it last year, and there were a couple of times this year we maybe wished we hadn't. We were really lucky. We were able to get trucks. We have one of our own and a contractor who works just for us. And then we were managed to get extra trucks in when we needed. And I guess the late start probably helped us a bit with managing to get the grain away. I don't think we stopped once because we were full, mostly just waiting for the moisture to go down. So we, we were pretty lucky. Didn't need to use bags, didn't need to dump in a shed or anything. We're just able to keep up and get the grain away, which was awesome to the truckies. They did a great job. Given how wet it was throughout parts of October and, and November and even into December as well. Are you surprised that you actually got it done before the new year? Yeah, we are, to be honest. Um, once it dried out, it wasn't as bad as we thought. There are some weed issues out there and we were lucky enough that we didn't employ the extra casual staff this year. So Leon was able to get out on the beam spray. So we've actually had the beam spray running in conjunction with Harvest, which we haven't had to do for a long time. So that's helped us get on top of some of those weeds because that's obviously the next big issue with all that, that water and rain. The weeds are growing faster than anything else. Here we are at the very start of 2023. Optimistic about another good year? You know, for us, 2021 was our biggest grain harvest ever. 22, just not very far behind it quantity-wise, a little bit down in the quality. So, look, we can say we've had consecutively two great harvests in a row, so that'd be awesome to strike number three, but, hey, who knows? Grasspatch farmer Natalie Bowman speaking with Hayden Smith. So a long, slow grind. Natalie describing it as one of the most frustrating she's experienced. Uh, If you're still out on the header grinding away this afternoon, how are things going at your place? Let me know on the text 0448922604. The WA Country Hour on ABC Radio WA.
Now, as you heard on the program yesterday, health authorities are still investigating the cause of 19 cases of sickness in WA. After all, were confirmed to have eaten Cukes branded baby cucumbers, which were brought in from South Australia. After investigations conducted by WA Health on December the 30th, the strain of salmonella was identified in a single pack of baby cucumbers purchased from a Perth Metro supermarket on December the 23rd. Well, yesterday, South Australian health authorities confirmed it was also investigating. Meanwhile, today, though, the company behind the Cukes brand has released a statement. Perfection Fresh says it's taking the situation extremely seriously and has already started a thorough investigation. The company says it's working with WA Health to undertake further testing and has completed 40 separate tests, which were all negative for salmonella. Perfection Fresh Chief Technical Officer Andrew Redman said the company has implemented increased sanitation measures and comprehensive testing of the product and food safety and quality teams have also reviewed existing processes to confirm all correct systems are in place and being adhered to and Perfection Fresh says it's continuing to work closely with the WA Health Department. 21 past 12 on the Country Hour, and if you're a sheep or cattle producer, you'd be acutely aware of the correction in the livestock markets in 2022. But if we take a broader look at the year, what happened with that correction and where are we headed? To find out, Peter Sonneville spoke with market analyst Simon Quilty. I think what we're seeing now in terms of cattle prices is just part of a natural cattle cycle that occurs over four years. And we're at a transition stage um, right now. So the expectation is that we'll start to see prices, you might say, transition till August next year, stepping down. In some instances, we may be closer to the, the bottom, you might say, of the market. And in others, we've still got a little ways to go. And then when we get to the bottom of the market, it's about 12 months into 2024 to the end of 24 that we finally come out of that and then then start to lift again. So to say it in a succinct way, Peter, we are in a cycle and we're at the start of, you might say, stage one of the um, transition down. That doesn't sound like a very optimistic way to go into the new year. We won't be setting any records No, I don't think we are, but I think it's just, you know, people that have been doing this for a long time understand that these cycles exist and that it does create opportunities as well. You know, I personally think that at some point the value of cows will become even more attractive, um, probably May next year is my expectation. And those that are rebuilding or looking to rebuild, it's a good opportunity to step in and start to buy again. So, For many, they've kind of missed out over the last year and a half, two years because of how expensive things have been, cattle. But as we move forward, I think it does create opportunities for those that want to step back and start to rebuild again. And so we understand this is uh, cyclical, but where are we at in that downward cycle? Can you give us some figures of of how far through the correction we are, I guess? Sure. So um, in terms of where we're at in in the stages, this is, you might say, about just over halfway through. And so what we'll do, you know, is as we step through this, the cattle herd is actually expanding. No surprises there. But I guess as it expands, Peter, the numbers 
build, of course, and supply starts to out, you know, oversupply, not oversupply, but demand, you know, is on the other side and there's simply a, a, too much supply coming forward and therefore prices start to fall. I think, though, what to keep in mind is that production in Australia in terms of beef, every time we've had a high, you might say, in production, those highs are slightly lower than, than the previous high of um, four, five, six years earlier. So it's a trend that we've noticed and that the lows in terms of volume of production and beef are getting lower again. And I think part of that is that challenge of continually hitting droughts. And so just when we think we're really you know, rebuilding at a good rate, we hit a drought. And unfortunately, it slows down that that production cycle and therefore the highs are getting lower and the lows are even getting lower again in terms of overall volume and production. We've uh, covered um, beef markets fairly well there, but what about for sheep and lamb? It's been a bit of a rocky year in that sector as well. It has been, and I think one of the greatest challenges there is labour. It's been truly challenging because, you know, the restricted, I guess, ability as the volume of lamb surge, and particularly of, of recent weeks, there's simply not enough labour in which to cope with that extra volume. So it kind of is going through these, you know, upswings in terms of supply and that ability or the bottlenecks that are created. So absenteeism is the other huge problem where we've had a wave of COVID go through the eastern seaboard in Australia. And with that, Peter, you know, illnesses, people being away from work, and, you know, we've got throughout the meat industry and other parts of the processing industry across Australia, you know, people are absent. So I think it's truly given challenges on that front. And as a result, we've seen lamb prices suffer because simply they, there isn't the kill capacity to handle the volume. Has it been a lot to suffer? Are they significantly down? I think the lamb market is, is current. At the moment, I know that a lot of people in the industry believe that there is carryover into next year. The figures that I've looked at point to that the slaughterings are up in since October. And uh, to me, we're probably current. And for what it's worth, Peter, out of the last 12 years, land prices in Q1, nine times out of 12, have risen 9% compared to Q4 um, the previous quarter. So for what it's worth, if we are going to see history repeat itself, there's a reasonable chance that land prices, hopefully in the first quarter of 2023, will be better. And if the history repeats itself there, 9%. Simon Quilty, who is an independent livestock market analyst, speaking with Peter Somerville. This afternoon, I've been asking you how your harvest is going if you're a grain grower. Sounds like it is a very long, slow grind this year. Very frustrating for some growers that you heard from earlier in the program in the Great Southern and in the Esperance Zone. Uh, Simo from Querriting has texted in to say he's still got another three weeks to go, but he is very happy with the quality of his wheat so far. What about you? Let me know on the text. The number is 0448 
922604. 28 past 12 on the country hour. Soon you're off to the Bureau to get an update on that heavy rainfall in the Kimberley and also to get a wrap of what the rest of the state can expect in the next few days. First, though, you keep hearing about how Australia has all the ingredients to become a renewable manufacturing superpower. But it sounds like some startups still see their future overseas. Christiane Jordan is CEO of emerging company Sakona Battery Technologies, which hopes to capitalise on the lithium and electric vehicles trend. He'd like the government to offer more support to encourage companies like his to set up here in Australia. Australia has no commercial battery manufacturing in in summary, (laughs) but there is the opportunity for Australia to capture more value and actually firmly believe that Australia should be manufacturing its own uh, lithium-ion batteries. Um, you know, Australia uh, this year will supply 60% of the world's lithium. We, you know, as a country, control the lithium market, which you cannot make a lithium battery without lithium, so uh, that, that really goes a long way, and we have uh, vast deposits of nickel, cobalt, manganese, everything that goes into a battery we have in abundance in Australia including the material that we use. Silicon is is the the raw material that we use, uh, we have in Australia. The carbon materials we use is domestic as well, and um, so too graphite that that goes into the final batteries. So Australia is so blessed in all the the raw materials and the resources, has uh, everything else in terms of the skill sets to manufacture batteries and battery materials domestically. We just need to capture more of that value and and the government, I guess, would, uh, just needs to incentivize local manufacturing as other governments like the US are now pushing and there's a lot of sort of protectionist trade policy being implemented and uh, governments like the US and Europe are looking at incentivizing companies like Sakona to come set up manufacturing there as opposed to doing it here in Australia. So it's, it's quite an interesting dynamic at the moment, but Australia can and should be manufacturing batteries domestically because we control so much of the critical materials and minerals that go into, into batteries. You're, you're focused on the Illawarra for your operations. You've got this facility in North Wollongong. Can you tell me a bit about your plans for set, establishing yourself in the region? Yeah, so we um, just signed the lease on a, on a new facility in Berkeley, uh, also here in, in the Wollongong area, to, um, to expand. We ran, ran out of space in our existing facility here. Um, so we, we're looking at building a, a large lab and basically our global innovation centre uh, where we will be further innovating and, and developing other battery materials that we have in our portfolio, not just the silicon composite battery materials that we're currently commercialising, but we have some other tricks, tricks up our sleeve, if I can put it that way. Um, so we'll be constantly innovating those and, and testing that and sort of building larger test batteries and, and just um, you know growing. That's sort of an 800 square metre facility in Berkeley. We have some plans to look at a cell pilot scale uh, manufacturing to demonstrate our next generation battery materials. Um, so that's another plan we have uh, in, in discussions with the New South Wales government around that for the uh, Shell Harbour LGA uh, is the plan there. But then the real big opportunity, unfortunately and unfortunately for, for Sakona, is at the moment is, is in the US market. So in the new year for commercial scale manufacturing, we'll be pushing into the US market in a big way and, and setting up over there. Christian Jordan. CEO of Sakona Battery Technology, speaking to Tim Fernandez. 28 to 1 on the country. Our time to head to the Bureau now. Luke Huntington is today's duty forecaster. Luke, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Jess. How are you going? Good, thank you. Now let's uh, head straight to the north where ex-tropical cyclone Ellie uh, just delivering massive rainfall and flooding um, to parts of the Kimberley. What is happening with that system right now? Yeah, so... uh 
Alley or X Tropical Cyclone Alley is um, just situated southwest of Fitzroy Crossing uh, currently, and it is very slow moving still, but probably just just moving to the west at the moment, um, and that's going to for. Uh, be that way for the next couple of days. Um, we're still going to see that um, heavy to intense rainfall continue during today. So that means uh, falls between 100 to 200 millimetres. And we could even see in very isolated areas uh, rainfall up to um, 300 millimetres. So that's for areas uh, over that western Kimberley um, between Curie Bay and Binjidanga and then inland towards Fitzroy Crossing. Okay, so what is the outlook? Are we expecting those those heavy falls to keep going to continue? Yeah, definitely. Just due to its slow uh, moving nature, it's going to be um, the risk of heavy falls is going to continue at least for the remainder of uh, this week. So um, as I said, it's going to be very slow moving. Probably by tomorrow, it's going to be just to the east of uh, Broome. Um, so that sort of far um, southwestern Kimberley area, and particularly Broome and the Dampier Peninsula there is going to be the focus of the heavy falls on the Wednesday and Thursday period. So um, we are seeing some decent falls going over there at the moment. So pretty much right from now until Thursday is the risk of uh, falls over that um, southwestern Kimberley. So particularly for that Broome and Dampier Peninsula area, they could be looking at um, even 400 to 500 millimetres um, accumulated wow. over the next three days. Wow, that's that's a lot, of, lot more rain to come. Do we have a clearer picture at the moment about whether or not that system will reform into a cyclone again? Yeah, um, we've got some certainty. Uh, most of the models are indicating it will just hang around just to the east of Broome on Wednesday and Thursday and then head back east over the southern Kimberley and then back to the Northern Territory probably sometime during the weekend. Um, and then there's an outlier situation where one of the models is going for that um, ex-Ellie to move offshore near Broome on the, uh, the Thursday period and then re-intensify into a tropical cyclone. But that's sort of uh, an outlier at this stage and uh, the most likely track is for it to stay inland and not develop as a cyclone. Saying that, we're still going to see those significant impacts, um, as I mentioned, near the Broome um, area and the surrounding parts. Um, even if it doesn't develop into a cyclone, we, we'll still see that heavy, intense rainfall with flooding and we could even see gales develop about the um, sort of the western Kimberley coast as well, including Broome. So even if it doesn't develop into a tropical cyclone, the impacts are still going to be pretty significant. Okay. Can you paint a picture of just how high these water levels are, particularly in the Fitzroy area, and how that sort of stacks up historically? Yeah, it's actually quite unbelievable. The, um, the Fitzroy River uh, exceeded 15 metres uh, this morning. So to give you a context, the actual um, record level is 13.95. So it's pretty much um, 1.2 to 1.5 metres above that record, which was in 2002. Uh, we've got it um, going towards 15.6 metres during this afternoon, and there could be some further slight rises um, overnight tonight. So we're thinking the peak may occur um, overnight or into tomorrow, but it shouldn't get too much higher than 15.6 metres, but still saying, saying that it's yeah, it's quite, a, it's quite a record flow. And then those uh, floodwaters will, are moving downstream towards Nukumbar and Willair. So uh, Nukumbar, the Fitzroy, crossing, the Fitzroy River at Nukumbar is expected to reach the major flood level overnight tonight and into Wednesday at 13 metres. So even areas downstream um, are particularly are going to go into sort of that major uh, flood as well. Wow. 
if people are wanting more information about the flood risks and updated forecasts throughout the day, um, where should they head to on the BOM website? Yeah, so um, we've got a warnings page. So it's just bomb.gov.au forward slash WA forward slash warnings. And that lists all our warning products there. Um, So we do have um, that flood warning where people can view. And uh, we have the severe weather warning current. And it shows the map of where that is at the moment. And um, a few other warnings as well. And of course, listeners can stay tuned into ABC Kimberley. I will be... um with you after the news at two o'clock with special flood coverage where I'll have the latest information. So please stay tuned to your local ABC radio frequency. Uh, But look, uh, Luke, this afternoon, um, what is the situation outside the Kimberley and other parts of the north, east and interior today? Yeah, so outside of the uh, the Kimberley area, um, we're expecting uh, some thunderstorms uh, to fire up this afternoon through uh, the Pilbara area and into the far western Gascoigne. So near that sort of Pilbara coastal area, um, sort of around the Port Hedland area, they could be at risk of seeing some severe thunderstorms this afternoon, just with some very fast um, moving thunderstorms, particularly going through there this afternoon. Um, but they'd they'd be fairly high based, and as they're moving fast, they wouldn't have too much rainfall associated with them. So the damaging winds really is the main risk with those storms. Um, as we head into uh, tomorrow, we'll see um, a continued risk of thunderstorms. Uh, probably about east of uh, Karratha there. And again, we might see the risk of damaging uh, um, winds with those storms. Probably less of a risk uh, tomorrow. But, uh, and as it has been into end later in the week, um, those, thunder, those thunderstorms will st- stay as a risk in the east, far eastern Kimberley, around east of Port Hedland. Uh, and heavy or sort of the heavy rainfall associated with thunderstorms and damaging winds may even extend into northern parts of the interior during the week. Alrighty. Further south, what's happening across the South Westland Division? Yeah, it's generally quiet over the uh, the south, southern parts of the state. Um, we do have that uh, ridge developing to the south and a trough developing off the coast. So we are seeing quite gusty easterly winds over most parts and quite um, very hot to hot conditions over a large part of the southwest land division. Um, we're seeing sort of mid to high 30 degree temperatures over a large part. The south coast is still um, relatively cool with temperatures in the low to mid uh, 20s today. And then we'll see the heat continuing for the next few days at least. So uh, probably f- uh, Thursday or Friday would be the hottest day um, in terms of temperatures. But we just start to see the trough move inland during the fr- Friday period. So we'll probably see some earlier sea breezes along the west coast. And then by um, Saturday, that trough will be it through inland parts. So a lot of the southwest land division um, dropping back into sort of the, uh, the mid to high 20 degree temperatures. But we're not really expecting uh, much rainfall uh, throughout the remainder of, of, of the week at all. Alrighty. Um, presumably a few warnings in place this afternoon. Can you just give us a, a wrap of the current warnings in the north and then across the rest of the state as well? Yeah, so in the north, probably the um, yeah the one of the warnings there is the uh, the severe weather warning for the Kimberley and North Interior. So, um, as I mentioned, it's for an area between Kirie Bay to Binjadanga and then inland to Fitzroy Crossing. Um, that's for intense rainfall and damaging winds. And then we have the uh, the, f- the flood warnings out. So we've got a major flood warning um, for the Fitzroy River 
and then just a flood warning for the West Kimberley district as well. And uh, for the south, we have a heatwave warning uh, current for the, the Gascoigne and the Central West and also the Pilbara as well. And also a fire weather warning for the Central West and the Swan Inland North district. Hey, Luke, thank you so much for that update this afternoon. Thanks, Jess. And uh, as I mentioned, for listeners in the Kimberley, I will be back with you after the news at two o'clock with special flood coverage. And I have all the latest information, so please stay tuned to your local ABC radio frequency across the Kimberley. You can also find the details on the ABC Kimberley website and there is updated information coming through on the ABC Kimberley Facebook page. ABC Radio Emergency Information. And with the latest bushfire information, Jackson Worthington is here. What's the latest, uh, Jackson? Good afternoon, Jess. So there's a watch and act in place for the eastern part of Pingrup in the Shire of Kent. That's for people bound by the by East Road to the north, Chalice Road to the east, Hatwell Road to the south and Range Road to the west. Uh, there is a possible threat to lives and homes as a fire is approaching in the area and conditions are changing. The fire started near the intersection of East Road and Range Road in Pingrup. Uh, so if you are not prepared or your plan is to leave, then leave now if the way is clear. If you you are well prepared and plan to actively defend your home and make your final preparations now. Uh, if you are planning to defend, though, don't rely on Maine's water pressure as it may be affected and you need to have access to an independent water supply and start patrolling your property to put out spot fires. Uh, keep your doors and windows closed and turn off evaporative air conditioners, but keep a water running through the system if possible. Uh, if you're not home at the moment, do not try to return as conditions in the area could be dangerous. Uh, so the bushfire is stationary, it is controlled but not contained and there is a lot of smoke in the area. No roads have been closed at the moment but motorists are asked to avoid the area and reduce speed due to the smoke. Uh, more road information is available on the main roads website and you can keep up to date on the latest with that fire on the emergency WA website or you can call DFES on 13 uh, 33 37 or visit any of their social media pages that's on twitter facebook or you can keep listening to the abc local radio we will have regular updates for you so just a reminder there's a watch and act for the eastern part of pingrup in the shire of kent and a few uh harvest uh, total fire bans in place this afternoon jackson uh yes so there are total fire bans in place due to uh the fire uh, danger around the place. So in the Midwest Gascoigne region, that's at Carnama, Chapman Valley, Carew, Dan Darrigan, Greater Geraldton, Irwin, Minanu, Morrowa, uh, Mora, Northampton, Perengery, Three Springs and Victoria Plains. In the Perth metropolitan area, that's Armadale, Chittering, Gingin, Gosnells, Kalamunda, Mundaring, Serpentine, Jarrodale and Swan. In the Goldfield Midlands, that's Beverly, Bruce Rock, Cunderdon, Dalwollinu, Dowran, Gamaling, Calabaran, Corder, Laverton, Menzies, Meriden, Mount Marshall, Muckenboodin, Narrenbeam, Northam, Nungarran, Querading, Tamman, 2J, Training, Wongan Balladu, Westonia, Wildcatcham, Yilgarn, and York. And in the southwest region, Bunbury, Capel Collie, Dardanup, Harvey, Murray, and Waruna. And uh, in the Great Southern today, Boddington, Brookton, Corrigan, Cubaling, Condinan, Coolan, Narragin, Pingerley, Wagen, Wandering, uh, West Arthur, Wickepin, Williams and Woodenilling.
Um, and during a total fire ban, you mustn't have any outdoor fires, including um, solid fuel barbecues. You can't carry out hot works like grinding and welding and gas cutting, nor go off-road during uh, driving in a four-wheel drive or on a quad bike, motorbike, bobcat or similar, except for agricultural re- reasons. Uh, and a few harvest bans around this afternoon, Jackson? Uh, yes, so there's a harvest ban in place in Irwin, Karnama, Kwinana, Mundaring, Karoo, uh, Kent and Dan Darrigan. So uh, check with your local shire there to um, see what's affected there. And you can see a map of the affected areas for the total fire bans on the DFES website. And a bit of rain around the north, Jess. So in the Kimberley, Camballon had 136 mils. Elquestro had 10 mils. Kilto Station had 50. Kimberley Downs had 98. Uh, Udiala had 123. And uh, De Grey in the Pilbara had 6 mils. There were no falls recorded in the Gascoigne, Interior, Goldfields, Eucla and the Islands. Uh, also, no falls recorded across the entire Southwest Land Division. Thank you so much for that update, Jackson. Quarter to, uh, to one on the Country Hour. You're listening to the WA Country Hour on ABC Radio WA. Now, changing pace for a moment, because the farming community of Corrigan, about 220 kilometres southeast of Perth, is mourning the tragic death of a young local. 21-year-old Daniel Lewis was killed in a car crash in the early hours of January the 1st. And Daniel attended the WA College of Agriculture, Cunderdon, and was a local agriculture ambassador. Courage and Shire President Des Hickey says the community is in a state of shock and disbelief. The thing is, with Daniel, he was involved in the community, has been all his life. He's uh, definitely a country boy, Born and bred, um, he he loves the country, he loves the farms, he loves the people involved. He's involved locally and now as a ambassador for the, the local ag society. Uh, he was involved in the footy clubs, um, in, involved in other aspects around the town. He was loved by by young and old. It didn't matter where we were. Uh, Daniel would come up and talk to you. He's just one of those open people that was uh, a beautiful person to have around, but uh, sad loss to us all. So I take it that the community will will try and throw its arms around uh, his family and friends at this time? Well, that's certainly underway. Um, I, yeah, I, I understand that's, um, that support is automatic anyway, but within small communities. But in this situation, we've got a, we've got a, a family that's been involved in the Corrigan community for a very long time um, and they're very well entrenched in, in the ethics of... Uh, what Corrigan is, so it's hard to acknowledge the fact that we've lost one of them and, and in such a tragic way. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad to see, but uh, anyway. Did you know Daniel personally? Well, we did, yes. I think everybody in town knows Daniel, so, and, and he's got a very wide group of friends. He was doing an apprenticeship in uh, Coolum, which is not far away, under one of the major um, agricultural outlets based uh, within WA, so yeah, he was he was getting on with life, so uh, it's just, uh, his motivation was a little bit infectious with, within within the group of people who he, he was with, so he's just one of those infectious boys, boys that uh, he got on with life and, and did a lot of good things, so yeah, had a long way to go. Corrigan Shire President Des Hickey speaking with Hayden Smith after the tragic death of a young local in Corridge and Daniel Lewis. Now, Toby Smith went to high school with Daniel and he remembers his close friend as someone who loved agriculture and just always made other people feel welcome. 
was obviously one of the best friends ever. Uh, it was so welcoming. Always made you feel invited or or safe when you're with him. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's mm. just it's just welcoming, I guess. Like, mm. No matter what he did or where we were, what we were doing. Yeah, you always felt like you were involved and having fun. How did you know Daniel? Uh, me and Daniel went to school together, pretty much from yeah year eight or year yeah year eight to year twelve. Right, and that was at the agricultural college. Yeah, year eleven and twelve at the at the um, agricultural college, and before that, just at the Corrigan High School. Could you talk a little bit then about his passion for agriculture? Oh yeah, he loved it. He loved his um his sheep, and all he wanted to do is go farming and start up his own farm and sheep enterprise. It's, yeah, that's all he ever spoke about, really. Yeah, okay, and he was involved in the show society as well. He was. I don't. Yeah, I don't know too much about what he did with that. Um, but yeah, he was involved with that. When you heard the news, I mean, I can imagine that must have just been a, an awful moment. Yeah, I was. I wasn't in town. I just. I was with a friend in Perth, and she got a text message that there's been a been an accident. And then I, I was calling our family back home to see what was going on, and if they knew who it was. And then yeah, I got a phone call back shortly after saying it was it was Daniel that passed. Um, and yeah, I was. Lost, heartbroken. Didn't know what to do, where to go. I'd imagine right now that Daniel's many friends and, and family are all rallying around each other. Yeah, we um, there was about thirty of us yesterday that went out to the site and and had a, said our goodbyes and laid out some stuff out for him. Um, and just had a quiet beer with him. Is there anything else you'd just lastly like to to add about Daniel and and what made him a a special friend yeah it's been i think it's been said i've seen a lot but yeah i think best way to describe it, he's one in a million there's not many people like him toby smith who was close friends with daniel lewis um speaking with hayden smith and look our thoughts here at the country are very much with daniel's family and the courage and community at this really awful time 10 to 1 on abc radio wa this is the wa country hour now, Harvest Road could soon be one of Western Australia's major sweet potato producers, with its Gascoigne trial set for expansion. The company began a pilot of the root vegetable at Brickhouse Station near Carnarvon in 2020. Horticulture manager at the station, Saxon Boston, says so far three varieties have been standouts. He's planning to produce to boost production this year. So where we're at now with the sweet potato is... Over the 10 hectares, we did 16 different varieties and we were looking for marketability, the crop ability, so how it handles with machine harvesting, its mechanisation, repeatability all year round so that we can have a year-round supply and its acceptance on the market. So we finished our trial last year and um, evaluated that back to three varieties and we're going forward with an expansion on sweet potatoes from 10 to 25 hectares in the coming months. We'll always be, like every grower always is looking for new varieties and things but we think we found three that'll keep us going for a while. Mm. And what were those three varieties that were chosen and why those three? So we've got two orange varieties or golds and one red skin white flesh. Our main gold variety will be Bellevue which is a a variety that comes from Louisiana State University. It's bred over in, in the US and it's excellent for it doesn't skin so much so it's excellent for handling through harvesting and mechanisation. It's a well-repeating yield throughout the year. Um, That said, in the middle of winter, you do get a bit of cracking. So we chose a second variety to fill the gap called New Orleans, which, again, comes from the US. And it doesn't crack through winter, and it's a very acceptable, marketable 
variety to fill that gap and give us an all-year-round supply. The red-white skin flesh is called Murasaki. It also comes from the US, although it's known as a Japanese cultivar, possibly just because of the name, but it's also from the US. And we had two different red skin white fleshes in, and it came out with yield and quality is on top. So we'll go forward with that one. Um, And you touched on it earlier, but there's not many sweet potato growers over this side of the country. How much of a um, market opportunity is there, and when do you think that the next harvest will be going to market? The reason we chose sweet potatoes was because it's an import replacement, really. There's not a lot of sweet potatoes grown in Western Australia for Western Australia. Most of it, 90% or more, is grown over on the East Coast, predominantly Bundaberg and imported into WA. We saw an opportunity there for WA local growing and the reduced the feed miles. We also see it as a, a crop that, with its required rotation for sustainability, it fits really well with our beef enterprise here on the station too, because the ideal rotation for sweet potato in the summer would be a sorghum crop through winter would be an oat crop and that's ideal for our yard hay for our stock livestock and in in turn to from our yards when we clean the yards out we bring back all of the manure and the trodden straw you know and that sort of stuff and we stockpile and, and break that down over a period of time as a compost to put back into the soil for the sweet potato so our next plantings have well since the trial we started replanting it for a continuous year-round supply now. So we've started planting in um, October and we'll, we'll keep planting through now until end of February and, or middle February and we'll start again in September next year and, and that'll give us a year-round supply. So we'll start harvest now for a continuous harvest year in, year out in early March. Harvest Roads Horticulture Manager at Brickhouse, Saxon Boston, speaking with Samantha Girling. So just trialling a few different varieties of sweet potatoes as Harvest Road looks to expand its gasoline trial of the crop. Uh, just a few minutes away from the news, but first to the Great Southern now, where a farm at Mount Barker, about 370 kilometres southeast of Perth, is run a little differently. And that's because all 84 workers are prisoners. Paddle Up Farm is a minimum security facility and a 6,500 acre farm, which opened nearly a decade ago. It gives prisoners the opportunity to gain agricultural skills that can be carried on when they eventually are released. Brad Hook is the business manager at Paddle Up Prison and he says all of the market goods produced at the facility are sent to other WA prisons. So the farm out there at the moment has 5,000 sheep, 1,000 head of cattle, and we do a cropping program that we run at hay and silage to feed our animals out there. We have a market garden that grows fruit and vegetables that get distributed out amongst all the other prisons. There's a lot of other industries like uh, there's a cabinet making shop, there's a metal fabrication, uh, mechanic, obviously the kitchen and laundry that we need to to run ourselves and obviously probably another big one is the section 95 which is you might see uh, a van going around here and there with six to ten prisoners in there that do community work around the around Mount Barker. And how successful has this program been over the years? No really good really good it's a, a positive environment out there. Pardalup prison doesn't actually have a fence it's an open environment uh, the inmates need to work and have good behaviour from other prisons to get to, to Pardal Up. So a lot of inmates that are there, they don't want to stuff up. They don't want to go back to a maxi. They want to do the right thing. And we have a, a, a really good um, education program out there where we try and upskill all our inmates in there so that when they are on release, they, they hopefully have a better life and don't come back. And with the farming that you do out there, who benefits and gets the produce, et cetera? 
So with the market gardens and stuff, all the fruit and veg get distributed out to uh, other prisons. With the with the livestock, which is basically what we sell, we do take them to, to um, yard sales and, and auctions and things like that. We want to keep that unbiased sale as much as we can. So they go open market just like every other farm. And does 100% of your produce go to other prisons? Uh, all the fruit and veg, 100% goes to other prisons. Uh, the, the livestock is sold on the open market. And with that going to other prisons, what does that kind of mean for you guys and the people that you're selling to? Well, obviously, it's beneficial for the department. Like they don't have to buy their fruit and veg in uh, of when we grow it. So obviously, there's a financial saving there. But also for the inmates, they take a bit of care in their work. They can see that what they've produced is going to go to, to other prisons. So they can see where it's going. And that, that means a lot. And how have you gone with managing, I guess, workers in this prison farm? It's a little different. Uh, we've got, uh, there's 84 inmates there. Ten of them work on the farm. Only one of them has farm experience before this. So a lot of our inmates are probably city guys that have worked their way to get to that minimum security. So for them, it's, it's a life-changing experience out there. They get a completely different set of skills and training that they probably never thought they'd ever get, but hopefully they can uh, take those skills and, and get some meaningful employment on their release. What's the end goal of doing all of this? The end goal is to hopefully uh, retrain, reintegrate, prisoners back into society where they can go and get meaningful employment and contribute to society and we hopefully we won't see them back in prison. And what would you say has been, of all the aspects that there are on the farm, what's been the inmate's sort of favourite? Look, they all want to get in the big tractors, they all want to drive the big machinery, you know, we got a new tractor at the start of the year and there was a bit of, uh, I wouldn't say pushing and shoving, but I want to drive that, I want to drive that tractor, I want to drive the big trucks, I want to, you know, that sort of stuff. So, like I said, most of the guys out there have probably been in the city most of their life, so to get out in a farm environment and can drive some machinery and stuff they've probably never seen before, it's pretty exciting for them. Could these inmates, when they're released, do you think it is making a difference to the labour shortages that we are seeing in agriculture at the moment? It could do. We're only on a small scale, so there's 10, 10 guys here at a time, but if we can train 10 of those guys up and half of them can go and use those skills and get jobs out there, well, that's, that's half a dozen workers out there. And do you think more prison farms like this we could see come on? Hopefully so. I think um, Parlock works really well. There's also two in Perth of Wooroloo and Carnet that um, are similar. It's a great environment for the prisoners. It's an open environment and I think they get a lot of skills and uh, they can use in future life. Brad Hook, business manager at Pardalup Prison Farm. He was speaking to Sophie Johnson. What a great story. Good on him, hey? Hello, I'm Sally Sara. Join me for The World Today. We bring you the latest on the double helicopter crash on the Gold Coast as investigators try to piece together what happened. House prices still sky high in parts of regional Australia after an exodus from the cities during COVID. When will the affordability crisis end? And what is the human and economic cost of China's abandonment of COVID zero as case numbers climb? Those stories are more coming up on The World Today. And this afternoon I've been asking grain growers, how are you going if you're still slogging along with harvest? A text has come in from Todd in Tamman who says, not sure why all these blokes are still harvesting around here. Maybe they should get up a bit earlier and get cracking. Thanks for that text, 
Todd, that may well be the case if moisture isn't an issue or your machinery hasn't broken down or your local bin isn't full. And thank you for all your texts this afternoon. That's it for today's Country Hour. Thanks so much for tuning in. Tomorrow I'll have a shorter version of the Country Hour during the tea break of the third test between Australia and South Africa at the SCG. And if you're listening from the Kimberley, please stay tuned because after the news I'll bring you special coverage of the current flood emergency. It's news time now. One o'clock.